So last week, I shared a little bit about what God is trying to do with us in this area here. I started the year talking about this verse that Jesus had read from the book of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The sent, uh, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, for, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to pro proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If we don't see ourselves in one of these categories, then Jesus didn't come for us. If you don't see yourself poor or blind or a prisoner or oppressed, then he didn't come for you. <laughs> but the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, each one of us has a struggle. When we're quiet, when we're alone, when we're in our moment of just us with ourselves, in our own thoughts. And if we're honest about things, we could be the richest person, but still feel poor. We can be the greatest visionary, but still feel that we're blind. We don't see the future. We don't see the goodness of God. We can feel oppressed because of the pressures that we're under, the relationships that are not going so well that we wanted to be happy about, but they're not, the health. There's a lot of oppression in, in the area of health these days. Even here in Canada, many people are hurting all kinds of things. I'm not talking about just physical diseases like you know joint pains or all kinds of things like that. There's a lot of that, but there's also heart pains. And then sometimes we're prisoners even to our own ways of thinking, prisoners to our habits, prisoners to the things that we want to change but can't, prisoners to the extra 10 pounds that we want to lose, but no matter what we do, we keep putting on a couple. I mean, that's, that's an easy one, right? That's not... Amen for that. So we are starting a new Bible study called Lose It or Use It. I don't know if that makes any sense. Okay. Anyway, so that's been my, my focus this year. And I believe that the Lord will have us continue to focus on that as we press in a little bit longer. And I, I shared with you about what Jesus said to Peter when he asked them who people say that Jesus is. Who do people say that I am? And Peter answered, and Jesus told him that he gives him the keys to the kingdom. And whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever they loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Keep that in the back of your mind, that last part of the verse here in the white. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And we talked about the fact that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, are there to keep people in not to keep people out. So the authority that Jesus gave the church to Peter and through Peter to the church is an authority to open those gates and get people free because he came for that very reason. I've come to proclaim good news to the people inside that place. And we could be inside that place even after we're born again, after we have a relationship with God. There's areas in our lives that are inside that place. We're stuck there, but we'll talk about that. So Jesus 
uh, or Paul rather, instructs us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. So the conf confirmation to the patterns is directly related to the transformation of the, by the renewing of our minds. Okay? Let's make that very clear in our hearts. The confirmation of the world, the, our confirmation to the world, is related to our minds not being renewed. When our minds are not being renewed, we are conformed to the world. When our minds are being renewed, we're being transformed and no longer conforming to the pattern of this world. That's the key here. Okay, so there are keys that Jesus gave uh, Peter. There are keys that Jesus gave to break to open this gate. And these keys, the way we've understood them, there are four keys, four key characteristics, four keys that are common to the gospel message no matter what denomination, what tradition, what group of the church you're in, whether you're Orthodox or Catholic or Evangelical, Charismatic or Baptist, this is key to our understanding of what the gospel is. The gospel is here for our healing, sight to the blind. The gospel is here for reconciliation, to reconcile us to God and reconcile us to one another. The gospel is here to forgive us because we have no ability to forgive ourselves. And the gospel is here to proclaim peace and to be a peacemaker in all things on the earth. So I shared with you last few weeks, I'm just sort of trying to bring us all to the same place so that we can move forward. I shared with you, and in the midst of that sharing, I got a phone call on Monday from Zarmig, or a text message from Zarmig, and she had a vision. So I've asked her to record this vision, and I have it ready, so that we can all hear it, because I believe that it's key to our understanding, and it's an affirmation of what we've been hearing. So I'm not going to share anything about it until after I come back. So if you're ready, then we can kill these lights. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Zarm. And uh, Zarmig had uh, shared with me earlier this week that the Lord had shown her a vision. And uh, we'll just have her share a little bit. Zarm, just uh, share what the Lord showed you. and then. Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, last week, I was during worship. The Lord gave me a vision, and the vision went something like this. I was a little girl walking on a path, and I had a backpack on my back I was carrying. I was a happy, jolly little girl, just smiling and hopping and skipping as I'm walking. I knew in my head exactly where I was going. I knew exactly where I was going to end up. I didn't know what it looked like, but I just knew that wherever I was going to be, put a smile on my face. I was so happy as I was making my way on this path. And it almost felt like I was walking on a rainbow because it felt so colorful. And as I'm walking, hopping and skipping with my backpack on my back, I look ahead, I lift up my head and I look ahead and I see, I see the Lord standing there with his arms wide open waiting for me and sorry and as I'm approaching I see him so I run because I'm so happy to see him so I run into his arms 
and he embraces me. And as he's embracing me, I don't feel as though he is big or taller than me because I don't feel as though he's bending down to embrace me. I feel like we're almost at the same level where I'm looking directly at him and he's looking directly at me. And as he's embracing me, he helps me remove my backpack off my back. And as he helps me remove my backpack and he lays it down, I look at it in shock because when he took it off, it was so big. The backpack was so big and it looked so heavy that the thought that came to my mind was how did I carry this, let alone like hop and skip along with this backpack on my back? Like, how did it not, you know, drag me down or how is it that I even had it on my back and I didn't drag it? But that really shocked me because I couldn't make sense of that. And so as I'm there, the Lord is holding on to me. And for some, for a moment there, it almost felt like as if there was a camera that zoomed back. And it was as though I was standing from afar watching in and the vision changed where it was just mountains and mountains of people, which seemed to be all of his children. And he was embracing us all at the same time. And we were all happy to be there. And yet it felt like as though for me, when I was with him, I was the only one there. There was no one else there. It was just me. I didn't, I didn't notice anybody else around me or above me. It was just me and the Lord. And that also, I was in awe of that because I thought to myself, that's, to me, it felt like it was a glimpse of how the Lord loves us so much that he is everywhere at the same time. And he's with all of us all the, at the same time. And yet I felt like I had his undivided attention. Like I was the only one there at that moment with him and nobody else was. And it was, to me, it was a very powerful vision because it just reminded me that he is with me all the time that he will never leave me nor forsake me, like he said. And that for all of his children, he loves us all equally the same because we're all the same in his eyes. And so I just wanted to share that vision. I had asked Haney to interpret it for me because I didn't know what it meant and he did. And I was grateful for that. So mm -hmm. thank you for letting me share this. Thanks, Arm. Did you notice at all during the Zoom out if he had removed anybody else's backpacks? No, it was just, it was just me and the Lord. Okay. Very cool. And uh, as we discussed it afterwards, uh, what was your sense of what this backpack was? My sense was that it was all of my, my thoughts and my burdens and all of the worries that I carry with me is what I thought that's what the backpack meant for me because some days you just feel like life is just beating you down. And yet I didn't feel that at all when I was carrying the backpack. Hmm. The Lord had been speaking to me and uh, I guess I've been sharing with the church about how he wants us to experience the transformation of our minds. And uh, our minds is, you know, what you shared just now when I asked you what the backpack represented, it reminded me exactly of what you shared when we first spoke about it. And your first words were, were my thoughts, uh, my burdens. But you, your first words both times were my thoughts. And today you actually ended with the way I think. 
And uh, what I appreciated is the fact that God didn't show you, the Lord didn't show you anybody else's burdens, their backpacks. That's between him and them. But he showed you that your burden, your backpack, was just so massive and so huge, but it's also so much part of you that you didn't feel the weight of it. It was just so natural for you. But he's taking that on and he's removing it and he's giving you a freshness. So I bless you and I thank you. Uh, I think this vision that you had is in line with what the Lord is speaking to us at City River. And I feel it's not just City River, but I think it's generally what he's speaking to his church globally in that uh, he's trying to bring us to the place where our minds are being transformed and uh, we're brought into his way of thinking. So we're trading our thoughts and uh, receiving his thoughts. Our minds are being changed, transformed. Metamorphosis is happening in our minds where we, we begin to think his thoughts and act accordingly. Anything else you'd like to add or share? No, I think that's it. Thank you so much. Okay. Bless you. I pray with you that the Lord would establish that in you, in your family, through you, and uh, in each one of us at City River and in his whole body, that we would become a community, uh, a society in the world that thinks his ways and establishes his ways. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Thanks, Andy. It really blessed me to, to hear what she saw and uh, her appreciation for it, her understanding of it, but also what I believe the Lord is speaking to every one of us. So why don't we take a couple of minutes right now and just quiet our hearts. Uh, we've prayed so that the only voice we hear is the Holy Spirit. And uh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay, Avidisya, thank you. I thought you had something to share. That's what uh, I thought your hand going up was. Uh, Take a moment, just quiet your heart and listen to what he has to tell you about your backpack. I believe that everybody that was there, that when she zoomed out and saw the whole scene, we're part of that and we each have our backpacks. I don't want to put anything in your backpack that doesn't belong. So I'm not going to tell you what I believe your backpack is but I'm going to have him show you. So let's quiet our hearts.
Father, you are so faithful. You're so kind. You don't push anything on us. Just like a dove, you are so gentle and you wait. You wait for us to come to you. You wait for us to feel safe, for you to show us how safe you are. Father, I pray that each one of the things that you have shown to each one of us, as they speak to us now, help us understand what you're inviting us into. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. You may feel that this is going totally in a different direction, but hang with me. There's something that we need to establish here. How many are familiar with what this picture looks uh, to show us? The tabernacle. This was something that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, or sorry, God spoke to Moses for the people of Israel to build this tent. It is supposed to be 100 cubits wide, 200 cubits deep. You may ask yourself, what's a cubit? Well, that's a cubit. So 100 of these wide, 200 long. And inside of it, there's supposed to be another tent, like the tent inside here. This is like a frame tent. And this whole thing is supposed to be in an area that's double that in length. The inside area is supposed to be 20 by 50 or 20 by 30 in the front, a curtain, and another 20 by 20 cubits behind it. So when you look at it on the, t on the top, it looks very massive compared to all the other tents of all the Israelites that were gathered all around it. You couldn't miss it. And he asked them to build this and prepare it during the first year that they had been out of Egypt. And then something happened on the New Year's Day. The 14th day of the month, the first month, was the Passover. And that's what they celebrate all the time. They get together, that's the Passover. We know that Jesus was crucified on the Friday of that week. So it's that whole thing. And I've often wondered why the Passover would be on the 14th day of that January. Not like January like we have January, but the first month of the Jewish calendar. Why the 14th day? It's so important. Why have it on the 14th day? Why not do it on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve? It didn't get answered until we came to the tabernacle. And on the first day of the second year, the first day of the first month of the second year, New Year's Day, all of a sudden they had finished building this and the presence of God comes down on the tabernacle and fills it. And all of a sudden the Lord showed that the key is not just Passover, but the key is his presence in the midst of his people. 
He is interested for this thing to be built, for you to come out of your Egypt, to receive the Passover lamb, to be born again, so that that's only the means. It's important. It's eternal life for you. But that's incomplete if he doesn't dwell in you. So he wants to make you, your body, your being, his dwelling place. He wants to make you his tabernacle. So you remember that last week I showed you this picture. And we talked about the, the trinity of humanity. And how we are made up of outer ring is the body. That's what you see me when I'm walking on this stage. Second inside of that, like an onion, is the soul. And when I'm speaking right now, these words that are coming through the speakers, through my lips, they're the words that my mind is speaking and they're touching your mind. So your soul, the green, is receiving from my soul. You go to school, the teacher stands there and he or she teaches and you're learning and you're receiving in your soul. At lunch break, you go out in recess and you run around and your body gets healthier and you have lunch and your body gets full. Nothing in your mind happening at that point except for your interactions with others. But if I were to come here and only give you from my soul, that would be a waste of your time. You can get a lot better things than having to come here and receive from my soul. Because my spirit, the inside, the yellow, is where God's spirit dwells. So we talked about all of these physical consciousness, this, the soul consciousness, or the intellectual consciousness, and the spiritual consciousness. But when we fell, when we fell into sin, all of that died. The first thing that died was that our spirits became dead to God. They were no longer able to sense and interact in a living way with God. They were awake to certain things, but not in terms of relationships with God and with other spiritual beings. Our soul eventually died. Our corrupt mind took over. Our preferences changed. Our thoughts changed. That's why he says, don't be conformed, but have your mind renewed. And eventually, we saw with Adam and then all his children up until us, every generation before us the body died so God had a solution he sent his perfect son to die for us and his spirit now comes and dwells in us just like on that first day of the first month of the second year in the wilderness the spirit of God comes in and he dwells in us and now our soul or excuse me our spirit becomes alive and when our spirit is alive the spirit isn't just inside just happy 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 i'm alive i'm alive i'm alive he wants to ooze out and to change the thinking and the transformation of the soul so the intent of it is that whatever is on the inside slowly oozes out and it oozes out in our minds thinking it oozes out in how it affects our body we begin to think different feel different act different in relationship and with one another and eventually it causes the transformation. And some of us have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit where we are now dunked into the Spirit, but that doesn't guarantee that the outside of the Spirit is affected. The soul still needs change. The soul needs, you could be speaking in tongues and singing with the angels and doing all of that, but your mind is still corrupt. 
it needs transformation. So slowly, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Your soul gets saved and your body experiences healing on a daily basis that's available to us. That's what happened in salvation. You're born again. You're sanctified. And one day, your body was gonna be, is going to be resurrected from the grave or raptured. And you're going to have a new glorified body. And we call that glorification. That's the entire package of salvation that God did for us. So look what he taught the people of Israel. They had this tabernacle. He comes and fills it. And as he comes and fills it, does this look familiar? There's the outer court. Oh, you, have, you don't see it yet. There's the outer court. Does that look familiar? This is a rectangle. Something else was a circle. But look at the dynamic. And inside that, there's the holy place. The outer court is where the sacrifices happen. They kill the animals there. They burn them there. Inside here, the holy place, something hidden happens. It's not open to the public to see. The tent here, people can see from everywhere until they come close. They can see the smoke. They can see the thing. They can see the smoke from the, uh, the fire of the altar. But they don't know what's happening on, in the inside, the non-Jews. The Jews, the Israelites, would come in and they bring their sacrifices. This gate would open, they bring their sacrifices to the priests and they would kill them. So there was outer inner inactivity, uh, activity. So the outer court shows us the outside things. But the holy place, there's some secret things going on in the holy place. The holy place is where the candlestick was. The holy place is where the altar of incense is, where the table of showbread is. All of those things that cause the nurturing through the interaction with God in our soul. It's a very similar scenario. But look what happens. There's also another thing called the Holy of Holies. And now the Holy of Holies is that little private, private area. The Holies, the holy place, they're in the holy place every day. Trimming the candles, changing the showbread, altar of incense, incense is going out representing prayer, the light of the candles represents the presence of God amongst his people, the showbread represents the fellowship and the interaction of the sacrifice with the, with the believer, all of that is going on in the green, but in that orange area, it only happens once a year on the day of atonement that the high priest goes in and he goes in and he notices that there's something else inside it's not just that, but look, let's zoom in a little bit. There is a little box inside this 20 cubit by 20 cubit room behind the very thick curtain. What's in that box? What is that box? That box is called the Ark of the Covenant. And it's, it looks like this. It's a box made of gold with rings on the outside so you can put beams of wood so that the priests carry it on their shoulders when they move one place to the other, the tabernacle. It's made of gold. It also has three parts. The outside is made of gold. The gold is on top of a box of wood. And the inside is another layer of gold. So what God is speaking to the people of Israel is exactly the same thing that he's trying to get to us. He's saying that you have three parts. You are like that Ark of the Covenant. On the outside is your body. On the inside of your very being is your spirit. They're both special to me. I didn't just make you like the angels that you can have a spirit of gold. 
but I made you so that your body is gold as well. I'm going to redeem your body. And your soul is that piece of wood in the middle that you're working on. That's the human element. So in the same way, the ark has these three parts, just like the temple has these three parts, just like our bodies and our being has these three parts. Inside of this box, there is a rod, there's manna, and there's the two tablets of the, the Ten Commandments. In the same way that God wants to seal our soul, excuse me, our spirit with His Word, with His leadership, the staff to direct us, and with His law. And it's not the law of Moses. It's the law of the Spirit. He wants to imprint that and infuse that inside our spirits so that something happens. Beautiful pictures. And the high priest would go in. You know, it was so holy, this room where this ark was, that the high priest couldn't just go in. He had to be covered in blood of sacrifice so that the blood would be the barrier between God's righteousness and judgment and his own humanity and sinfulness. That's freaky. Think about that. If there is any part of him that's not covered in the blood, God's holiness would automatically kill him. So on the bottom of his robe, they would put bells so that when he's moving in there, they hear it. Oh, high priest is okay. He's moving. If it goes too quiet for too long, there's a rope tied to his leg. They would yank at it to make sure that he responds. Yeah, he's awake. Okay, he's fine. But if he doesn't respond after the yank one or two times, they know the holiness of God killed him. And they would pull out the body and bury him. That's a weird scenario. Thank God that's not how we function. When Jesus was on the cross and just before he died, the curtain that was covering all of this in the Holy of Holies ripped. And it opened up. And it was a tear. It ripped from the top of the curtain down to prove that it wasn't a human thing that did it. To prove that it was God that now opened the way. And the high priest doesn't have to go in through the blood anymore. And the temple is not restricted to the high priest anymore because we now have access into the Holy of Holies. But Israel had something else that they were told about this Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had these two angels that were covering something. And what they were covering is this platform here, the lid of the box. And this lid had a very special name. It was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. What God was trying to get them to understand is that everything that he has done with all of these pictures of the holy of holies and the holies and the tabernacle and the sacrifices was to get them to understand that they don't have enough to pay in sacrifices or in being themselves a sacrifice to atone for their own sin. He had to do it. And he had to do it through mercy. Actually, there's a verse that I love. It's the verse from Ezekiel where God says, you will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my namesake and not according to your own evil ways. 
if I deal with you according to your evil ways, I would have to destroy you like the high priest. That was a picture. He doesn't want that to be the relationship, but he's trying to get a message across to them. And your corrupt practices, you, you people of Israel, declares the Lord. What he's saying is, I want to deal with you on a different level. And that's how I am dealing with you. That's why there's a mercy seat. Because in that mercy seat, I express to you my grace. I'm expressing to you my grace in that mercy seat. I am showing you that in all of this, through this Ark of the Covenant, through this mercy seat that is where I sit, I am dealing with you in mercy. I am dealing with you not like you deserve. I'm dealing with you out of grace. And he wants to show us that. That was the pictures he showed the nation of Israel 1,500 years before Christ. 3,500 years now. They've been chewing on this, trying to understand it. Trying to understand what God is trying to say to them. So if we put it in this way, There's sin. The way we normally understand things, we would think along these lines. There is sin, and that's how Israel understood it. And sin deserves punishment. Because everything in the law shows them that. But everything God says to them, it says something different. The law says sin deserves punishment. The wages of sin is death, right? Unless there is repentance. If you repent, even though you're punished, you have the opportunity. The punishment is supposed to teach you to repent so that you change your mind from doing it. And that's how we train our kids. Kid comes to the edge. You're going to fall. Step back. Oops, he fell. He got punished. The fall was the punishment. So now he repents and he doesn't go to the edge anymore. She stands in the back. Or you tell the child, hey, don't touch the stove, it's hot. They touch the stove. What happens? Tss, the fingers burn. They got the punishment. Or the teacher tells the kids, hey, be quiet now. It's time to listen to the lesson. If you don't, you're going to go into the corner. I don't know if they still do that today, but in my day, there was a corner. Right? And there's also a ruler. How many of you got the ruler back in the day? Yeah, okay. They don't do that anymore because we're in a different age. Okay, the, the, the punishment was, was short, but then the teacher comes to the student and she says, okay, Johnny, did you learn your lesson? Okay, miss, yes, I learned my lesson. Okay, come on, Johnny. And now Johnny goes back to his seat and Johnny is changed. Johnny is not going to do those things anymore, right? Theoretically. And that's how we deal with one another. You know, our prison system is based on that. You commit a crime, you get punished. In your punishment, you're supposed to change. You're supposed to think that I'm not going to do that thing I did again. And now you're transformed and you're ready to come back into society. That's our system. However, what the Bible is showing them is what God is speaking to them, that your sin is not going to meet with punishment. The punishment is not going to do anything to you. That's what the whole point of the Old Testament is. Your punishment is going to be met with my unconditional love because of my namesake. I'm going to deal with you according to my namesake. And my name is good. My name is love. My name is faithful. My name is Father. 
And that leads to transformation. All of a sudden you're born again. The Spirit of God lives in you. And that leads to repentance. Now I know what you're thinking. You're saying, wait, 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 that's backwards. Okay, some parts of the church think this way. Other parts think this way. The sin is met with God's unconditional love, which leads to repentance because the scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And that repentance leads to transformation. Well, they're both right. It's a chicken and egg thing. So let's do it this way. Sin leads to unconditional love, is met with unconditional love. Always. God's love is always unconditional. It has nothing to do with how good you are, how much money you put into the plate, how many times you show up to church on how many days a week, how many times you feed the poor. It has nothing to do with any of that. It doesn't have to do with whether you are faithful to your spouse or not. You could be the, the dirtiest dog in the city, but God still is unconditionally loving you. It doesn't give you license to go and keep doing that, but that's how God is. He is faithful. And that faithfulness, when you come to experience it, that's why I had you all be quiet for a little bit so that you can hear what God is putting his finger on today. Because that's the area that he wants to touch today with his unconditional love. Because you can't fix it. No matter how much you try, no matter how much you've tried in the past, oh, I'm going to be more faithful to read my Bible this week. Okay, maybe you can. Maybe two weeks. Maybe three weeks. But how many times have you tried this? How many of us are consistently reading our Bible and praying every day, every day, every day for the last... I know some people, Silva's mom, does it every day. She started reading the Bible again. And I know Sister Hasmik does it every day. They're faithful. Okay? They've, why? Because they've encountered that unconditional love of God in that area and it changed them and it brought them to the place where they have repented about not doing these things they have had a change of their mind they know that their life depends on that word and that time of prayer like you and I know that it depends on us eating and drinking shock no it depends on it that much and it causes every time we meet unconditional love for an area of sin in our lives we can't overcome the sin ourselves but all of a sudden this unconditional love leads us to repentance which leads us to transformation which leads us to more repentance which leads us to more transformation and that's how the machinery is inside that's how we go from being born again with our spirits made alive to our minds and our souls being transformed and changed it's a lot of theory I told you the keys to the kingdom, or the keys, include these four areas. Healing, reconciling, forgiving, and peacemaking. So how do you activate this repentance transformation cycle? How do you step into that when you recognize your sinfulness? You recognize your own shortcoming. How do you step out of that 
to experience the unconditional love of God so that you can move into the area of transformation and repentance constantly going on. Well, Jesus gives them some keys. When Jesus was raised from the dead the first day, he steps through the wall. The disciples were there. Thomas wasn't, but the disciples were there. And he says, peace be with you, beast. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was a very interesting scene. They're scared out of their minds. It's been three days that Jesus was crucified. They're afraid that the Romans and the Jewish leaders from the temple are going to come back or the Sanhedrin are going to come back and pick them up and persecute them and crucify them as well. So they're hiding in fear in the upper room where they had the, ten, uh, the communion, the, the Passover meal, two days before. And now they're waiting. They're waiting and they don't know what to wait for. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes through. And he's talking with them. And he's breathing on them. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. Remember when we had Charmaine Koffler share with us about the breath of God? And how our breath, every time we breathe, we're actually unaware that we're repeating the unpronounceable name of God. We're breathing the name of God. So from the second we're born, when the doctor slaps the baby on the bottom, to the second we're giving up our last breath, we're breathing the name of God. Now put that together with, I will deal with you, Israel, according to my namesake. breathes the Holy Spirit on them receive the Holy Spirit so now they're being revived the Holy Spirit is living with them, within them and look what he says if you forgive anyone their sin their sins are forgiven if you do not forgive them they're not forgiven wow that's a lot of authority that he gave the disciples and through the disciples you and I the Catholic Church has taken this seriously and they have put in a system called reconciliation and the system of reconciliation what it does is every time that it, uh, a Catholic person goes into it and they sit in this booth called the confessional they speak to the priest and the priest believing this speaks forgiveness to them beautiful but it got religious and it lost its power and some Catholic priests today will tell you that I wish we didn't have it this way I wish the people themselves would confess to one another so that they themselves become agents of forgiveness so that they learn to do this not just at the confessional where it's for the person who's confessing but it now becomes their habit that they learn to forgive one another so that when somebody wrongs them they can forgive that person because that's one of the keys in the kingdom so, today, you have the opportunity to unburden yourself by forgiving somebody who's wronged you. 
Why? Because Jesus said it this way in Matthew when he taught them how to pray. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Remember that in the Lord's Prayer? And then he explains it. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But isn't he always forgiving me? Isn't that what unconditional love is? Yes, that's exactly what unconditional love is. But when you forgive and you learn to forgive, you begin to experience that unconditional love in a different way because now you're open to forgiveness. You're open not only because you're receiving it, but you're also giving it. You're receiving it and giving it, and you're receiving and giving it. And that moves you from the place of punishment to the place of experiencing the unconditional love, and it puts you into that cycle of transformation, repentance, cycle of transformation, repentance, cycle of transformation, repentance, and you mature, and you grow, and you look more like Christ. Whosoever sins you forgive is forgiven them. Whosoever sins you don't forgive is not forgiven them. The mercy seat in the Holy of Holies shows us that the very interaction of God with Israel is based on mercy, is based on grace. His interaction with you and me today is not based on merit, accomplishment, behavior, anything. It's based on grace. The grace produces the fruit. The grace will produce the transformation. The grace will produce the change, if you let it. If you let it. When the high priest went in, he was covered by the blood. And that's a picture for us to always be covered by the blood of Jesus. Not the blood of animals and sacrifices, but the blood of Jesus. So come running to him today. Whatever he's shown you earlier, bring it to him and say, Lord, I bring you this. I don't have the ability to overcome it, but you do. So I bring it to you and I ask you, have your blood sprinkled. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, as you just have been speaking to us, may the power of your blood, Jesus, cause now an appreciation for the grace and the mercy that you have for each one of us. Wherever we have been, however we have walked, you stand ready to embrace us. Just like Zarm saw, your arms are wide open, you don't stand big and tall over us, but you come down to our level, just like you did when Jesus came to be born on the earth. And you look us in the eyes, you embrace us, and you take off of our backs the burden that has become, the backpack that has become such a common part of our existence. We have understood it to be part of us, part of who we are but you want to remove that from us you want to help us grow 
mature, be transformed, look like Christ, change in everything that we are and everything that we do. We want to look like you. We want to act like you, think like you. So Father, as each of us who have heard that area that you're putting your finger on today, that backpack, we bring it to you and we say, Lord, you lift it off of me. I can't. You take it off my shoulders. And give me a sense of awareness that you have done that. And a sense of appreciation of your grace, your goodness, your mercy, your faithfulness. We thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.